If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. Transformation, one of the things that we look at first and foremost is what is happening right now. What I actually advise when building out digital transformation roadmap is to start with doing things on paper. One way or another, every one of us is a brand. And how can you and I use emerging technology to help to grow that brand? That's exactly what Michelle XL is doing right now. Michelle is the founder and immersive technology strategist of integrated production collective, The Antipodean. And she and her team use tools which include virtual reality, augmented reality, and AI to grow brands through innovative positioning. Michelle, how did you first get interested in immersive digital production? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know if there was necessarily a, an immediate light bulb moment. It's been a really slow burn. I started my life in digital production back in early 2000s when we were still doing interactive CD-ROMs and so very immersive sites back then like tracking the America's Cup boats for the America's Cup Association in New Zealand online, which was quite revolutionary at that point and a lot of touchscreen technology. So I feel, people ask me this all the time, but I feel like over the course of my career it's been completely and utterly 100% always focused on interactivity, not just putting out content on Tuesday television screens, but I've always been involved in things that are put out into the world and the world reacts to. So immersive technology for me, augmented reality, virtual reality, is really just now allowing us to do some of the things that we've always maybe done in more labor-intensive ways. <laughs> so it seems like a natural progression. And your emerging tech and content collective, the Antipodean, is doing some extremely cool stuff. If I'm counting correctly, you have just celebrated your third anniversary since you opened. I did, yes. I really don't track it like I should, but yes. Happy anniversary. Would you tell me about the adventure of creating the Antipodean, please? Absolutely. So I had spent so many years at that point working for other people, and I really wanted an opportunity to be able to work with all of the people that I had met along the way over the years that I appreciated and respected working with and didn't want to necessarily be bound by the work or the clients that were coming into the ad agencies that I was working for because when you work for ad agencies, you have these big client accounts that you service and they're wonderful and you build great relationships with them. But for example, I had worked in pet care brands for probably 13 years across four different agencies and you get typecast into these certain verticals. And so for me, it was about getting back to my roots and being able to work side by side with people who make things, who physically code and program and shoot and stitch, and which is how I started my career in digital development, and, and be able to work freely again on the types of projects that we want to work on. So we would either approach people and offer our services or sometimes people come to us. I'd always been known as the one throughout my career that knew how to make the things that maybe other people didn't know how to make, non-traditional, which just means digital. And so it was 
starting the collective, I handpicked companies that I had worked with over the years in my career in advertising, digital agencies, but really unusual digital ones that were really involved in doing things with webcams or with synchronized video or sound and audio, really specialized augmented reality, computer vision, virtual reality, these companies that were doing things that not everybody was doing. And they were happy to have me to help them find work. And I was very happy to have them because I just wanted to soak up all the knowledge. And so it was really just a desire to be able to spread the message of immersive technology, get back up to speed with what I felt I had been lacking and working in advertising and not working in production. And honestly, seeing where things went. It was, it was a bit of an experiment. It sounds like, simultaneously, a real creative blast and kind of scary at the same time, kind of stepping into the void and seeing if you have wings. I'm nodding. You can't see it, but I'm nodding very strongly. <laughs> yeah, it really, really was. Yep. Would you take me back in your imagination to those first days after the Antipodean opened and tell me what that was like? Oh, gosh, my whole body is reacting right now. <laughs> it, it really was. I think at first I was wonderfully naive about how successful it would become immediately overnight because everybody that I had spoken to, the people that I now represented, these production companies that I brought into the collective, they were so enthusiastic. They knew that I knew all the right people in order to go out and find them jobs. They knew that I understood what they did so I could really truly represent them. I was loving the way that they worked and I thought, wow, if I go and talk to people about these companies, they can't help but work with them. Of course, everyone's going to want to work with these guys. I really underestimated how long it takes to build brand. I think it was incredibly exciting and I was loving everything and learning every day. But you learn so many lessons along the way. I think that the biggest lesson that I learned immediately was that things don't happen overnight and that the people that I thought would be the most receptive to what I did, some of the agencies that I used to work for, that I actually was in very senior positions, say running interactive production, some of the places that I worked for were almost the least receptive to what I was doing now. I think because perhaps they had a certain vision of me and it wasn't this. And so it was difficult for them to overnight see me as a vendor or a partner. And yeah, I think that was maybe the first realization was that the people that I thought I was going to be counting on that would jump on board straight away, even to this day, three years later, probably the ones that have not jumped on board as much as everybody else, including complete and utter strangers who found out what I did and wanted to work with me straight away. So you can't always count on the, the path to new business that you thought you could. That's such an interesting point that we do get typecast. We do something, one thing excellently, and people go, oh, that's Michelle, and she does this, as opposed to what you knew that you could do. When you say a brand, how long, since everybody is a brand in one way or another, what would be a reasonable amount of time that it takes to establish a brand? Um, I think, to be honest, it takes a certain amount of time of just working and trial and error every day to before you can even articulate what you think your brand should be or who you think you should be. So there's that aspect. Similar to being typecast, sometimes you can go out and say, I'm going to be this, and it's not until maybe six months into it that you realize, oh, maybe that's not the best positioning. 
maybe I'm actually truly helpful or truly, you know, attractive to other companies in slightly different ways than I thought I was. So I think some of it takes time. I think you need to do, just go out and do, and then see how people react to you. See what work makes you money. See what work makes you happy. See what work makes you more work. See how people are reacting to your brand. And so I underestimated that because I thought, here's my vision. You know, I know how to build brands. I've been doing it for my entire career. You know, this is who I'm going to be. And I underestimated the amount of time that it would take me to just be out there in the world and learn who I should be or who I could be. And then there's also brand awareness. So then there's also just people finding out that you now do this new thing and you building up certain recognition in the industry as well. Not recognition in terms of reputation, recognition in terms of acknowledgement. So people just being aware, awareness. So I think that there's, you cannot, I don't think at least, when you're in a services business like I am, define who you are necessarily upfront until you start working. Or if you do define who you are, be prepared to perhaps change or tweak or evolve it in about six months. It took me about six months before I started to even realize how my business processes would work, how I needed to plan my time. And then it honestly probably took about another year after that, so about a year and a half in, before I started becoming really good at articulating what my company did to the right people. And only now, after three years, Probably about six months ago, did I start having a really regular flow of calls and new business inquiries coming to me versus me having to go out and chase them a lot. So in my experience, I would say two to three years before you start to feel confident. And of course, it's different for everybody. But yeah, (laughs) and you're constantly evolving as well. You're constantly reimagining yourself as well. And with that in mind, the constantly reimagining, I had had the pleasure of seeing one of your VR presentations, but your website shows so much more. I'm seeing wearables, I'm seeing AI, I'm seeing experiences. What's one of the ones that you gradually evolved over time that when you started the Antipodean, you might not have thought you would do? Well, that's a great question. I think I didn't realize how much my experience and my take on this world of immersive technology was valuable in and of itself. So maybe not not quite the answer you were you were asking to the question you were asking, but rather than a specific technology or area of technology, I've actually found that my consulting services have become a really large part of my business. Before, I thought that I was just representing and uh, evangelizing what was going on in the tech world and these partners who were so proficient and so wonderfully adept at doing it. It turns out that going straight to technology, broad terms, can be quite a leap for a lot of people. So I've really found a niche in helping brands and ad agencies, all types of agencies, in answering the questions, well, what what does this stuff do? What's relevant to us? And where do we start? So not just, you know, oh, we want to do something in VR, but coming to me and working with me through a consultative process and I run workshops and do strategies and research projects for different brands and companies now where I play middle person. So I play that conduit 
in between trying to help them navigate this new world, understand and then navigate this new world, come up with a strategy, and then partnering them also with the people who know how to do this best. So I think something that I never thought that that would happen, but I have over the course of this, in addition to the collective, I have actually become a consultant, a legitimate consultant, which is wonderful and very fulfilling. And in addition to the production companies that I work with, I've now found other partners for me to work with in a consulting sense. So bringing in some creative specialists, some strategic specialists. These are not people who are specialists in, say, voice or AI or computer vision. These are specialists who have spent their careers like I have in consulting, in running requirements, in trying to find product market fits, in understanding consumers and consumer behavior, or the operational aspects of a brand or an agency. How are they going to start to change their internal structure to accommodate the creation of this work? Because it's not just hiring the right people, it's also how you accommodate the hiring of those people by having internal staff who can work with the, the right vendors. So there's this whole new world that's opened up for me through starting this company that I did not expect initially. Our audience are mainly makers and educators. If we were to talk about the emerging technology today and getting them from where they are right now to where you see it going in five more years, what would be some of the first steps you might use for, for example, a teacher? Right. So what I always say to all companies, whether it's an educational institution, an individual, a brand, an ad agency, is that in order to look forward, you have to look back. So I've worked a lot in digital transformation throughout my career. So helping brands to move forward with digital technologies or products or platforms in very meaningful ways, not just throw away things because somebody told them they had to get into voice. So transformation, one of the things that we look at first and foremost is what is happening right now. I'll give you an analogy. An analogy is an ad agency that I used to work for that I was hired to come on board and build out the digital department of. This is many, many years ago, about 12 years ago. And the people working at that company already who knew they wanted to increase their digital capabilities were hiring some digital people like me. Great. Good first step. (laughs) Hire people who, who know what they're doing. But the expectation, I think, was that we would create a whole new framework and just turn it on overnight. And that is never, ever the case. What I actually advise when building out digital transformation roadmaps is to start with doing things on paper. So if you know a process isn't working, a new tool or a platform isn't going to fix it. If you know things aren't working, you document why. You document or you you hypothesize or you brainstorm about, you know, what could be a better process. And you start it on paper. You start it with Excel spreadsheets. You start it with people. You start it with meetings. You start it by essentially prototyping the new process to see if it works. Is your workflow correct? Do people understand you know, what their new role is in this new process? And then you start to evaluate tools based on that. So it's the same way with immersive technology. You really can't just go out and say, I think we should be doing something in VR. Or AR seems hot. Or everyone's getting into voice. Everyone's getting into chatbot. Everyone's talking about AI. How do we figure out AI? It's not a question of that. It's a question of what is our company doing right now? What are the challenges that we're facing right now internally? What are some of the pain points that our company is currently experiencing? And starting to evaluate a range of new technologies to see if any seem like a relevant fit. 
and then, and there's a number of ways that you do that. And then also try to identify where to start as a pilot. I'm in the process of writing an article that Dot I will share with you when I'm finished, but it's currently titled The Technology Revolution Will Be Tiny. It's taking baby incremental steps along the way. So I have seen so many times over the course of my career people taking a huge jump and then it failing and then them asking why. And so I really think that you truly need to start with a huge amount of internal reflection, looking back on why things used to work in the past and maybe why they're not now, and then using that as a blueprint to figure out where to start, why, evaluate, build, iterate, build again, until you're moving well into one direction. Not every company needs to do something in AI or in voice or in AR, but they do need to start moving in the direction of immersive technology and some will be more relevant than others now. They don't want to be left behind. One pain point I hear a lot is when you look at the education field, people are saying, how do we get more girls interested in the sciences and math? What if a teacher came to you and said that as the pain point? Where would you take him or her? Oh, that's a good, yeah, that's a good question. I had the privilege of working recently with a woman who created a book called Secret Code. The Secret Code is a book you can look it up. There's a free companion augmented reality app that goes with it. And we helped to build it. One of my partners helped to build the augmented reality app. It's a book whose protagonist is a young girl called Rox. And Rox is asked to clean up her room by her parents. And she looks around at her toys in her room and says, well, you know, maybe I can create a robot out of my existing toys and program them to do my chores for me. So this book was created by Mara to help more younger girls get interested in and hopefully stay involved in STEAM. And I think it harkened back to her upbringing where she had a family, had a father who was very interested in technology. I actually had the same. And my mother is a business analyst for an ERP system. So, you know, I could, yeah, I come from, I come from a little bit more of a, maybe a techie background than others do. But she really recognizes the fact that it starts in the home. And if it doesn't start in the home, it has to be fostered elsewhere. So there have to be opportunities for kids to experience technology. But I think when they experience it, they have to understand it. I remember back to when I was in school, and as soon as we started using a calculator to do calculus was basically the week that I dropped out of math for the rest of my life <laughs> because it was, it really was. I actually wiped myself off the computer for that course at my school. No one had ever asked before and I just went into my dean's office and asked. Yeah, they stopped that pretty quick, but I got out of it, which was great and the grade point average went up. So because I'm a very practical, logical person and I didn't understand why I was using a calculator to do sine and cosine and these things because I didn't understand on paper how I got there. And so there's, it's exactly what I do today. I say, hey, it's not just about the technology. It's not just about the calculator. It's not just telling you how to do it and you just go out and do it rote by rote. It's about explaining why you're doing it, what the meaning of it is. And I think that, okay, I'm going to get stereotypical here. I think a lot of women are more logical and practical in a lot of ways. And I think that where it drops off is perhaps where we, we stop understanding the links and the connections. In my experience, it's a bit difficult. I grew up in a different country. grew up under a female prime minister. grew up with my mother who's basically the head of the household. So I, I grew up with a lot of very strong female characters and never felt 
in any way disadvantaged because I was female. I was also very tall and strong. So I just didn't feel the gender divide. I know that sounds strange, but I just didn't. And I think, though, that when I have dropped out of taken myself, removed myself from certain, you know, STEAM, STEM-related activities is when I haven't understood the bridge, the gap. There's been a gap, and I haven't really understood, and I haven't had any... I've lacked some mentorship over the years where people were able to explain it to me. And I have, since I left school at 16, I have I, I dabbled in a little bit of university, but besides that, I did, I did one very part-time year, and I was out of school completely. I was still 17. Since then, I have dedicated a lot of my life to explaining to other people how things work, why they work, why they're incredible, why they're meaningful to them. And I think that we need to focus in our education system, not just on teaching the technology, but teaching why it's relevant and applicable. Because then why wouldn't you stay engaged and involved? I don't think it's necessarily about, you know, does it look cool for a girl to be doing engineering or math? I mean, yeah, it looks incredibly cool for them to be doing that. <laughs> I think I think we've got a unique position in this day and age where being a woman in STEM, you're actually unique. And that's cool. Being unique is cool. And so hopefully the, the tables are turning a little bit and, you know, everybody is seeing these, these things as being cool. But it's more about, I think, explaining the value and explaining to people what you can then do with this knowledge, or with this technology. I think it's been an inefficiency in the way that we teach, not necessarily just in a gender divide. I think personally I dropped out when I wasn't, explained it fully. And now it's you who can't see me nodding my head madly because I'm thinking, yes, yes, when I couldn't understand how it related to my world, that's when I lost interest. Right. You felt the same thing. I'm glad I'm not alone. Yeah. Yeah. What is, our audience will never forgive me if I don't ask you about some of the cool things that you're making right now at the Antipodean. If you had to choose one favorite project right now that you're involved in that you can actually tell me about, what would you tell me? I can tell you in so many terms. I can't mention the brand or the agency, but I can explain this. Okay, so this is through an ad agency. So this is an agency who has a particular client. They're actually based in Australia. They work with companies all over the world. This agency came to myself and one of my consulting partners, Ben Keenan, who runs the Thought Police, thethoughtpolice.com.au. You should look it up. It's fantastic. He's a creative consultant whereas I'm more technology consultant. So we work together a lot. So this agency had employed Ben, who brought myself in. And there was a power drill. It was a power drill company in Australia who is finding it difficult to differentiate themselves. They have a product that a lot of other people have. have a slightly higher price point because the quality of their product is a little bit better. And Ben worked with this agency first for a couple of sessions to figure out maybe who they should be talking to and what those people are experiencing in their daily life and then how this power drill and its many uses could be relevant to their daily life or their activities or their passions. So they actually honed in on an audience target, which I love because I'm it. <laughs> it's women sort of, you know, 25 to 35, a little bit older than that, but basic bracket who are, you know, looking to upgrade from IKEA furniture into something that is a little more unique and personal and customized or looking to, we call them rental renovators. So they're people who may not own a house yet, women who may not own a house yet, 
but who are looking to make improvements to it. It was, it was just a really nice, juicy customer target, meaning this group of people that we could really imagine a lot about and dig deep into. So we then had a workshop where they gave me that customer target. They gave me information about the product. And I went out into, you know, into my world and I brought back to them technologies that were relevant to this customer target group and this product. And I brought them back augmented reality and explained to them about all the different things that you could do with it, how you could use it to size up a room or size up an area to then build shelves, how you could use it to perhaps imagine what something would look like in a certain space or gain inspiration by, say, scanning a room and then it would bring back suggestions. I talked about the rise of augmented reality and virtual reality, spatial planning tools and other brands that were out there doing it, from Mozzie to Wayfair, all these different places. I also brought back as a technology IoT, connected devices, because we're talking about a device that you've got. We can also tell you know a lot about the device. Anyway, throughout the whole of this, you know, kind of creative and innovation workshop series, we happened upon an idea which we absolutely adore, and it is to have voice-activated and voice-controlled videos that guide you through certain projects because you've got your hands full, right? So could you prop your phone up, prop your tablet up, have it there as you're doing things, it's showing you the relevant next step. But so the insight here came from the fact that there's a lot of how-to videos out there on YouTube and other platforms, but they're linear videos. By that we mean you have to watch it from beginning to minute five. And then you have to, if you're going to use it to guide you through a project, reach out and press pause and press play. And then maybe it tells you about the three different ways you could do something, but only one is relevant to you. So we found this really elegant solution that, to be honest, should already have existed, but doesn't. We check. And, but it's using technology. It's using voice. It's using interactive video. It's using, I wouldn't say AI, but, but a lot of complex logic behind the scenes. So it's a really technical solution, but a very easy to understand and interact with technical solution, a really elegant solution, but solves a bunch of current issues. So that's the project I'm most excited about. We're still waiting to see if it's going to be sold. If it doesn't, there are myriad users for an approach like this. So this could even be used in education, in training, certainly, and can be personalized and customized. Anything that you can think of where you may actually be using your hands and but still wanting guidance and video. You can have a voice talking to you. You can have a video guiding you through it that you can talk to. We myself and, and Ben and the partners were brought in to scope this out, are in love with this idea right now because it was such a light bulb moment for us that, that this didn't exist and was going to be revolutionary, so helpful to so many people in so many different instances. So that's what we're really loving at the moment. It's not something we've made, something we're hoping to make. I'm excited about that one because it occurs to me as a maker, a lot of times you're welding or you have sticky glue on your hands or you are painting and... What do you do? You're going to hit your screen and it's going to get nasty. If it's voice activated, that is amazing. Right. And then relevant as well. So, you know, if you've gone down a certain path or you're building with a certain type of wood or you've got a certain type of wall or, you know, certain size of the thing that you're building, you only see then the content that's relevant to you. You don't have to, you know, watch 
through all of these other things where the person who's on the video is saying, or if you've got this type of material, you would do it this way. If you're using this type of material, it's just relevant and contextual. Let's do a shameless plug. You mentioned that you do workshops. Do you do any that are open to the general public that maybe our listeners might like to attend this summer, this upcoming fall? I don't do workshops open to the public yet. That is something that we're hoping to offer in voice and also in augmented reality, but I am available if somebody would like to reach out and has a certain topic that they'd like to talk about. I do work mostly with brands and agencies, but as where we met, you know, sometimes I do work with educational facilities and things, you know, or institutes who I know don't necessarily have, you know, consulting budgets, so we can always figure that out. I went to an incredible VR and immersive education conference one day recently, or about a year and a half ago, and education conferences and symposiums and events are often the best because educators are already thinking about how to harness this technology and how to communicate with it, how to use it, rather than just using it for technology's sake. So I really enjoy attending education conferences of any shape or size. They're always very, very interesting because people are very receptive, which is great. And to contact Michelle... So they can reach me at michelle at theantipodean.us. My website, theantipodean.us, is woefully out of date. I'm like the dentist who has bad teeth. I'm the digital innovation expert who has an out-of-date website. <laughs> it's always the way. But if you go to theantipodean.us forward slash introduction, that actually links you to a deck that I keep updated with a lot of current work and a lot of different contact details, references, resources, and more. So that's a good way to find me as well. Theantipodean.us forward slash introduction. Correct. And if you're in the Bay Area this Wednesday morning, you'll get a chance to meet Michelle and hear her give a presentation. I'm speaking at an event. I'm based in San Francisco. On the 12th of June, I'm speaking at SF Big Bay Area Innovation Group alongside representatives from SoundHound and Visa and the Financial Times. And we're talking about innovation in general as it pertains to brand marketing. So that's June 12th, and that's through SF Big. I hope to be, you know, doing more things that are open to the public in future. They would more than likely be in San Francisco, but people can reach out to me and, and ask about anything upcoming as well. Finally, Michelle, if people could only get one thing from you and your work about innovation, creativity, and making a difference... What would you really like them to take away from you and the Antipodean? That you have the ability to create your own roadmap. That there is something about what you do, the reason that you do it, your ability that fits into this new world. You don't have to feel like you're falling behind in terms of technology. Technology is just an articulation or a medium that allows us to do things we've always done whether it's communication or utility, offering tools, educating, connecting with each other, communication. There are just new ways of doing it. I really want people to understand that they have the knowledge and the skill and passion to be able to work with any new technology, and I just help them unlock that. Don't be afraid of it. Michelle, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. This was really great. A pleasure. You and I have been listening to Michelle XL founder and immersive technology strategist of Emerging Technology and Content Collective, The Antipodean. As Michelle mentioned, if you have a question about branding or education, 
you're welcome to contact her at theantipodean.us forward slash introduction. That's the Antipodean, I'll spell it, it's A-N-T-I-P-O-D-E-A-N, theantipodean.us forward slash introduction. Meanwhile, if you're in the Bay Area and hearing this before Wednesday, June 12th, you'll get a chance to hear Michelle give a live presentation. She's going to be one of the five breakfast speakers at San Francisco Big's breakfast event, June 12th at 8.30 in the morning. They're going to be talking about how do brands use AI to engage customers at China Live on Broadway Street. You can find out more at sfbig.org. That's sfbig.org. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at chewmavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.